You're listening to For the Lore, the podcast that delves in the craft of our favorite games, whether lore, gameplay, or game design. Each week, Roger is joined by Joe and Vince. seen a resurgence of interest in other MMOs in the last few months thanks to expansion announcements and subscription changes. While we wait impatiently for content till Legion releases, Wildstar is gone free-to-play, and though the transition wasn't exactly smooth, the addition of fresh servers has helped some, myself not included. Then there's Guild Wars 2, Heart of Thorns, and Star Wars The Old Republic's Knights of the Fallen Empire expansion set to release this month. Having returned to SWOTOR in full force, My opinion of the MMO has been reinforced with every level, every quest completed, every forced choke, every flirtatious comment to that sexy companion in tight pants. Swotar, perhaps more so than any other MMO, other than WoW, is well known for polarizing opinions it solicits from gamers. I have never hidden the fact that it has consistently been one of my favorites. It is the best MMO for people who like to play solo. Now, to all those who would argue that I should just play standalone RPGs, I would answer, fuck you, I will play what I want. See, a lot of folks love playing MMOs by themselves. And the easiest way to explain it to those who find the concept hard to grasp is it's the difference between walking around by yourself in your home versus walking around a park or a mall without speaking to anyone. It's still social, and for some, it's a level of interaction that's actually safe. Now, we've talked about Knights of the Fallen Empire on For the Lore quite a bit in the last few months, and as the 27th draws near, I'm certain we will be discussing it a lot more. BioWare continues to write about their return to storytelling, and the recent gameplay footage has done nothing but reinforce that statement. I've been playing my female Sith Jedi Knight, taking full advantage of the level boost, and I've had nothing but fun. I've recruited Lord Scourge, which was my ultimate goal, and while he isn't romanceable, That hasn't stopped my Sith from gazing longingly into his sultry eyes whenever he isn't paying attention. (laughs) Would you want to romance somebody named Lord Scourge? Damn right. My Sith? Yes. That's totally a Roger thing. Come on. Come on. Yeah, but that sounds like, okay, now you need to go see a doctor and be tested. (laughs) No, it will be awesome. One day they will allow it because that was the whole point of me making a Sith Jedi Knight that I wanted Lord Scourge, and I did want them to be buddies. Bunk buddies, if you know what I'm saying. Sadly, it's not going to happen anytime soon, I guess. Now, there are a lot of changes that have been announced as well. We're going to get into that. We are going to touch also on Guild Wars 2 later on. Now, Vince, I noticed that you did reinstall the game. You're planning on bouncing back in? I played it for a couple hours the other night, actually, uh, when we uh, should have been recording for the lore. (laughs) I went, well, I'm sitting here at the computer. Eh, why not? I'm assuming you spent most of your time just getting everything back in order because <laughs> that's what I have to do with every class that I want to play again. I have to fix all of my UI again, all of my abilities, all of the spec. And then when they're finally ready, uh, it's done playing time. I'll get back to it later on. Well, I started fresh and I'm oh, okay. still trying to remember how I had my UI laid out. So right, right now it's an absolute disaster, but it didn't matter because that 12x boost is the greatest thing ever. The only problem I have with it is that there are no heirlooms in that mm-hmm. game. And for yeah, gear who, is a problem. Yeah. 
for people who don't play WoW, heirloom gear levels with you. That doesn't happen here. And because you are, for the most part, only doing your class stuff, you're going up against some opponents every once in a while that it's like, oh, crap. And I had a problem. It was touch and go with some until I got Doc. And then as soon as I got Doc, mm-hmm. I had my healer and I was fine. The fact that he's a misogynistic asshole... <laughs> That I want to punch in the throat every time he talks. Uh, Notwithstanding, at least he can heal. And we managed to finish off the second chapter. And I'm actually at a point now where even with him as a healer, which was immediately after getting Lord Scourge, the next big kind of like mini boss that you go up against, simply cannot beat her period. So I'm going to have to go and level some and then come back. Yeah. But it's pretty nice though. Like, played for a couple hours, finished the starter planet, got to level 15. Like, I'm like, all right, I could do this. Yeah, definitely. I actually didn't have to do all the, the you know, the running around and the side quests. That's well worth the 15 bucks. Yeah. So what did you start up then? Uh, an Imperial agent. Okay. Okay. Oh, those are awesome. Uh, a female or a male? Male. Okay. Yeah. Oh, then you're going to have Calio to deal with. <laughs> she is awesome. <laughs> she, she is the- I remember I got a way back when I think I got one up to, you know, 20 or 30 or so. <laughs> Took a lot longer <laughs> that time around. They are by far, in my opinion, the best class. For story, they are phenomenal. And the companions, too, are freaking awesome. Eventually, you get a robot that just wants to kill you. <laughs> And she's awesome too. So yeah, I love that class. Triple zero? Uh, no, but <laughs> it's the same kind of thing. <laughs> and so yeah, I, I started a little trooper too, but I haven't really played her too much because I want her to have some sexy time with, with the cat dude. Because so, I want to see what's going to happen there. And uh, Roger, are you playing Star Wars or The Sims? I'm, I'm playing a freaking Japanese <laughs> Yeah, he's totally dating, dating game. Sim. <laughs> that, that's what it is. Hotafo <laughs> Trooper or something, man. Yeah. Like, it's awesome. Wow. <laughs> but he's an awesome character. And I, I like, I'm comfortable in my masculinity. I like seeing the romance things from both sides because they're story elements. I want to see this. So that's the other reason for, for the Jedi Knight. Although, sadly, I didn't realize until later on, your only romanceable option is fucking Doc. <laughs> and I hate him. He stops just short of calling you sugar tits. I hate the bastard. So anyways, I I still love the game. I, I actually got my bounty hunter all ready to go. That's that's my class. Yeah, well, right uh, yeah. Sadly, I, I've never been as crazy about the the class storyline for the bounty hunter. I'm hoping it gets significantly better, but Never been as crazy about Honestly, it. Honestly, like it, the the bounty hunter storyline was kind of okay. Um, it Nichols. gave you a lot of like interesting Mando bits and stuff like yeah. that. So if like you're a Mando lore nut, it was good. What made it for me? The companion Mando lore yeah. nut. <laughs> <laughs> it was the, the companion stuff with Mako yeah. was probably the most interesting thing. I agree. I agree. So and I... I, I might be actually done her storyline. I might have finished it before I'd stopped before. I'm not positive. But but anyways, I, I, they're fun to play. They're just, especially if you play uh, a healer. So mine is like healer slash DPS. And holy crap in hell. You're pretty much unstoppable and you can survive red quests no problem. Even even as a tank, I was able to do that before. Like it, the tank you have Mako heal in you, which is the equivalent. Oh, the yeah. tank right now but, I mean, is like, the, one of the, the amount best. of mitigation you have is ridiculous. Yeah. 
and you got to shoot rockets and light things on fire and use force fields because, you know, you're a bounty hunter and fucking cool. So there is a lot of stuff that is going on with uh, Knights of the Fallen Empire. Now, we've gotten not just some news about it, but there was actually a spectacular um, live stream that their dev or their community rep, I believe, is is played for a while. And I, I actually, as much as I'm dying to talk about it, because it hasn't even come out, I really don't want to be spoiling anything for anybody who hasn't watched it. Suffice it to say, the stuff that I did see, and there's been a couple that I've watched, have got me so excited. Because they did the same thing where you have your light and dark side choices, and even at the early levels of of the expansion, not early levels of the game per se, those choices have massive consequences. So you're really forced to decide what kind of player you're going to be playing right off the bat. So that was, that was fairly cool. They're going to be making huge changes to how you collect items, which is about time. That's, that's going to be awesome for sharing things across accounts and whatnot. They're going to be doing the changes to the heroic missions and whatnot, not just for groups, but you'll also be able to solo a lot of them, which is again, bloody awesome. Crafting and gathering is getting a huge overhaul, which is about fucking time. That'll be <laughs> nice. The one thing that I was a little disappointed in, they're saying, hey, there's going to be a special reward if you've completed all the classes, which is a huge undertaking, let's be honest. Like, I mean, not quite as much with 12 XP, but even then, it's still enough. You got a goddamn little icon at the end of your fucking name. Give me a break. <laughs> whoop de doo It's the Star Wars equivalent of the Destiny emblem. God, yeah. <laughs> Even less so. They were talking about the experience change. It's it's not going to be like it is now, which is what we thought it was going to be initially the way they were talking, where it was going to continue with 12 times XP for your class stuff. What they're doing is it's going to be kind of the 12 times, but for class N, the primary planetary missions. So you're not going to have to do all of the secondary missions on the planets, but you will have to do the primary ones if you want to level from 1 to 50 doing strictly class and those primary missions. Okay with that. Because like, a lot of those primary planet storylines were pretty good and helped you kind of flesh out your character not in just, a lot of those decisions. Not just that, but the way that they're kind of interwoven a lot of the mm-hmm. times. Yeah, you're going to the same places Exactly. Anyway. So this just kind of groups it all together. It's, it's for people who've done the planets enough it's still going to be a pain in the butt, but it's, again, you got to think of it in terms of you're going there anyways. It's going to take you literally just a few more minutes to do it. And then a little temp bar thing. Don't really care about that. Uh, massive, massive changes to the stats, removal of all of the mm-hmm. primary stats for mastery. That's going to be fantastic for whenever you're getting gear to pass between your alts and whatnot, plus crafting gear. No longer, you're not going to have to sift through like hundreds of goddamn mods and enhancements and everything just to find the perfect one for your class, just a mastery one. And then the changes to crit and surge and all that stuff. So that's actually, I'm I'm really happy about that. Not only that, but also helping gear up your companions. No, you're not going to be gearing up your companions. That's the other thing that they announced, and that's the big one. I must have missed that one. Oh, yeah. Gear is basically just going to be for the look on your companions. Oh, okay. Your companions' abilities are going to be, and how good they are, are going to be based on your level, and then also 
their affection for you, but you're not going to be able to actually gear your companions again, with the exception of saying, I want this look applied. So I I like that because I remember, again, way back in the olden days when I was leveling my Inquisitor, you actually had to help me come finish my story quest because it required you to use Kemval, who I had abandoned at level 12. I wasn't using him anymore because I was a tank. I didn't need the tanking character. So when they forced me to bring him along, he had no gear. He was just (laughs) – it was awful. The thing about this is that it's good and bad. The the – the good thing is, and again, well, see, it's all good and bad. Every companion is now going to have three roles that you can choose from. The obvious tanking, mm-hmm. healing, and DPS. So it's not going to be you need to have chem if you want a tank or, or Mako if you want heals. Any companion can do whatever you want, which then means you can bring with you whatever companion you want. So that's kind of good, but... Part of the appeal of the, that drive to level your class has been to get whatever companion it is that you want. The one that does do exactly what it is that you'd like them to do as well. Sometimes that means getting stuck with freaking Doc that you hate, sure. But sometimes it means, you know, taking Mako with you because she's an awesome healer or, or, or she can DPS as well. So pros and cons there. And then in terms of the gear... A lot of people are happy because, yes, it will make it a lot easier and a lot cheaper, too, because specking out multiple companions on a single character, let alone all of your alts, is very, very time-consuming. Very time-consuming. But the beauty of the system was, and I know this from experience having done it with various classes, if there's one that you do really like, and that's your main one that you stick with for the majority of your questing and whatnot, especially once you get to higher levels. Man, you can pimp that sucker out so that they are doing an insane amount of damage or insane heals or tanking. And then you can just solo stuff with them versus needing to group up with other people going back to that social aspect of the game. So you can really, really push the limits of what your class should be able to do at your level because you invested so much in getting specific gear for your your characters. And like I said, because I did that and I really enjoyed doing that, I am going to miss that. Yeah. I'm so, and then the, because, because for me at the, at this point in the game is I just want to experience the story. Like I want to like get in and get out. Like I want to, <laughs> I, I don't want to spend time with, you know, the crafting. I did, I have a very specific goal. I want to see the stories for the characters. And I want to do that as efficiently as possible. See, I because I enjoy the game and I want to stay in the game, it's, again, hit or miss. Mm-hmm. The other big one that's got some people pissed off, too, is the level scaling for planets. Again, pros and cons here. The obvious con is that you're not going to be able to just blow plas- past whatever it is on lower-level planets to get to whatever objective you want or, or do whatever. The pro, however, is that you will be able to level on whatever planet you're on because the experience you get will be substantive to your actual level and not your scaled down level. So that means that if you like questing on Narshada, which I actually do, I know a lot of people hate that planet, but man, I love it. Then you can go at level 50 and actually get the same percentage of experience as you would at level so that is actually 
fairly cool. And they did show it in that live stream how you're still kind of at the very top end of what your class would be there. Plus, you still have access to all of the abilities that you've gotten since then as well. It's all scaled down, but you have the ability, same as your gear is scaled down. So you're still doing an insane amount of damage, just not wiping the floor, you know, looking at somebody mean and they die. The other good thing about it, too, is that this will make it much like Guild Wars, where if you're grouping with someone who's a lower level, you can now play together and each get experience and actually it, you don't have to feel like you're missing out or wasting your time kind of thing. So that's actually very good. So in, in all, I'm for this. I think this is fantastic. And, and and I've mentioned this before, but that's a system or at least something along those lines that I wish more games, especially MMOs, uh, would would take into considera- consideration. I loved it back in City of Heroes. I love it in Guild Wars. I love the fact that we're seeing it here. Just I, if you make an MMO, this is something that you should honestly consider. Like it just it makes thing it makes so much more sense. It really does. I mean, I, I'm kind of on a split mind of it because on one hand, I like you know having a challenge. Like you know, like I said I want to get through it quick, but I don't want it to be you know, brain dead. I, I want to still, you know, be able to actually play the game instead of just, oh, click, you die, click, you die. But on the other hand, like, there's there's a certain sense of immersion of I'm more powerful now, you know, why am I having just as much trouble with these guys, you know, now that I've gone back to this old place? Like, and it, I mechanically, I like though. it. Mechanically, I love it. But there's like just a certain, like, feeling well, that's why it, that always feels a little bit off and that's why i think like i think city of heroes always did it best right the sidekick system was probably the best way to do it because it didn't bring the person down it brought the other person up mm-hmm. and so that you were more powerful you were you know that big badass you just had a sidekick with you you brought your robin along with you and they fed off of your power and they were just a couple levels behind you in power scale. So you could still do things that you were currently doing. They could just tag along and it didn't count against them for completion or quest lines or anything like that. It just gave them that ability to do something socially with another player and not have to worry about being 30 levels behind them. It was it was fantastic. See, I don't think what you're saying actually fits simply because... Just because you're on a different planet shouldn't mean that the characters are not as tough as you are. Even right. taking your level into consideration wouldn't make a difference that, oh, this planet's full of freaking pussies because <laughs> it's a I'm just saying like, if you're going back to some place you've already been, like it just doesn't feel right for it to present the same amount of challenge that it did the first time around. See, I actually I, – I understand what you mean, but I actually completely disagree with that. I think that it, it should still pose the same amount of damage. You would have learned some new abilities, gotten a little bit better training and whatnot, certainly, which is then reflected in the fact that you will be killing guys significantly easier. If you watch the stream, he takes down some some elites pretty easily, though it's not a, a raffle stomp kind of thing if he was level 60. But he does right, yeah, take The, the amount of scaling is going to be... Important. Like, I, I don't see I don't I haven't seen exactly how the scaling works. So that that's also going to be a factor. OK, let's move away from SWOTAR. Sticking with Star Wars, however, the beta for Battlefront was this weekend. There was like nine million people who signed up <laughs> for it. They had the drop zone, the Walker assault, a survival mission on Tatooine and whatnot. I actually I installed it. 
and I'm not going to lie, all I did was watch streams of people playing it. I actually didn't bother playing it myself for obvious reason. We had Thanksgiving weekend here. There just wasn't time for it. Did either of you actually try it? I, I didn't, didn't have time. It, okay. But I, I, just like you, I watched a I lot watched of it. I watched tons. At times, I forgot I was watching a video game. Oh, God, yeah. I uh, I watched the funny bloopers, and I thought that was the perfect <laughs> thing, such as Vader getting stomped by an ATS, uh, AT-AT? AT-AT. Yeah. Um, or, you know, Luke Skywalker flipping across the battlefield only to get shot in the face. Now, my favorite was the guy that crashed the snowspeeder into Vader, <laughs> and then he just walked out of the flames. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's funny because I was also listening to a lot of people, and while a lot of people really did have a lot of fun with it, there were a number of people who went, hmm, I'm not so sure that I'm going to be picking it up day one now. And as cool as it looked, and I know that they really didn't show everything about it, there's a significant amount that is still going to be in the actual game that was not in the beta. But looking at the cost of it, not to mention the fairly high cost of the season pack, I'm kind of on the fence if I'm going to be picking this up right away. I don't know about you guys. Yeah, it's definitely on the wait for a sale list for me. So but that's not because I don't like it, just because you know, there's other games I would rather play at the same time. Yeah, it will be in my house. Uh, it is the game that has finally convinced Tart to pre-order a PS4 because of the special edition, awesome silhouetted uh, Vader PS4 that comes with it. Okay. All right, let's move on to some Guild Wars 2. Joe, go ahead. So Guild Wars 2 is a game that says, yes, you can play by yourself, but things are so much better with friends. <laughs> uh, and they make that a big point. And Arena Net's always been about that. Ever since they first really launched it, they had the Guild Summit. Uh, they flew people out there. They, they had these great events. And recently was no exception to that rule. Here we had Guild Week. Uh, and Guild Week was an explanation of things that are to come and how you're going to interact with your guild. And for me, over the span of this this event, the most important thing I got out of this personally and something that I absolutely love was further explanation of guild halls. Guild halls are one of those things where I love player housing. Uh, guild housing, guild halls is something that I absolutely adore even more because it gives you something to work on with your friends collectively in this game. And not only that, but it gives you, there's, there's rewards associated with it, whether it's, you know, special quests that become available or things to do, or whether it's PVP battles and everything about what I'm seeing here, I absolutely love starting with having to have a guild, first of all, to even go get a guild hall, which makes perfect sense, but you'd be surprised for some games uh, and having to go on an expedition. And then what I loved about it is they explained here you're going to have to earn that hall. Not only you're going to have to find the entrance, you're going to have to clear out the infestation. And if you fail uh, to do so uh, within the time limit, you can restart it without having to pay the gold, but you have to restart it. Uh, and then after you clear out everything, you start with a simple tavern and then you can build a mine and then all sorts of things like that where you start to build up what is essentially not just a guild hall, but a fully functioning town. And I know a lot of people are going to make a comparison between this and Garrison's. And yeah, you're <laughs> no, well, I'm saying, <laughs> no. I've, I've heard. No, no. I've heard this complaint from people within the last couple of days. Trust me. This is the thing. 
Here's the you've heard it from people who don't play Guild Wars. No, I've heard it from people that do play Guild Wars. They're they, concerned about it. But here's the thing, folks. This isn't fucking garrisons. You are interacting with this. There are things to do here. You're not sending minions to go do work. You're doing the work. Well, not just that, but you're actually with other people. Yes. I, I, no one has ever come to my garrison, <laughs> ever. And I've gone to one other person's garrisons just to disenchant some stuff. There's no reason to go to anybody's garrison. No, and, th- and that's absolutely true. But here, there's a reason. This exactly, is a hub. Yeah. And this is a real hub. This is a hub where, yes, there's going to be things that generate resources. Yes, there's going to be things that give you quests. But you get what you you get out of it what you put into it collectively and i think that is ridiculously cool um i also really loved day two when they showcased the lost precipice guild hall uh i absolutely loved everything i saw from them gliding around the guild hall to the different places to scoping the arena um, and then I also thought this was cool. You can decorate your guild hall, and that's and that's cool. And they show this amazing system of how you can place items and orient items, orientate items, excuse me, uh, and like have everything where you want it. But then they let something slip where they were talking about there's going to be specific things for specific regions of the guild hall. Like there's going to be arena specific decorations. There's going to be tavern specific decorations so not only are you going to be able to personalize it but there's going to be consideration and thought put into everything that goes on here every aspect of it and i absolutely love that what i liked was that see in our wildstar guild we've got a number of players myself included that love housing like really really love housing and are doing things with housing that you know, you never really would have thought of like for um, again for our book club uh, that we have monthly book club. I built a library. We've got race tracks. We've got all <laughs> manner of things in our our different places. And again, we our guild. There's a number of players, and we all go and visit each other's houses, and sometimes help each, help each other make different things and whatnot. This is that, but on a grander scale, and I can easily see. A whole bunch of members because you can assign who gets to do what for putting out uh, to be able to decorate. So you don't have to worry about some Yahoo busting everything up. So you let your 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 creators loose in this space and say, you know what? Have fun. Build something exciting. And well, they'll do incredible and things. And here's the cool bit about that, too. Your guild gets experience for them doing this. Like every time you build a building, every time you upgrade a building, your guild gets experience. And if you're not familiar with Guild Wars 2, your guild levels up. Uh, You do things as a group. You complete objectives. You get experience as a guild. And they're giving you experience as a guild for doing stuff inside of the guild, the, the guild hall. That's cool. So you have those people that want to spend 14 hours making the guild hall perfect. You get experience for that. Your guild levels up. You gain benefits from that as a collective group. That's cool as shit. I've never seen guild housing or housing this polished and and mm-hmm. interesting and engaging as well. I've never seen it like this. And again, the more they show that, that arena for PVP battles, oh, whether man. it's internal or inviting other guilds, and you can you can just set it so that they can be pushed off the edges and different <laughs> things. You can set up different obstacles or whatever in there with the housing stuff. 
it was spectacular. Like, again, I thought of it in terms of Friday nights or PvP guild nights just for fun and to relax instead of always doing raiding. Boom, spend the week setting it all up, and then Friday nights, everybody hops into Discord to shoot the shit, and then PvP and have fun. And it was freaking amazing. And and not just that, just from an aesthetic point of view, it was fucking gorgeous. Gorgeous. And I also think there's uh we shouldn't we shouldn't discount the tech that's being involved in this as well. Uh not only is the guild hall going to have all this amazing stuff to do, not only is the arena gonna have all this amazing stuff, not only is it set in a gorgeous landscape, not only is it just engaging gameplay, but it also has a lot of impressive tech behind it where the instance for your guild hall is actually smart enough to scale between five players to two hundred players at a time. That's really kind of cool. And I like the fact that it's going to size itself appropriately to allocate proper resources to do that. And I think that's really awesome. I also like the fact that they made it a point to make sure that just a super rich person isn't just going to be able to go and buy everything for the guild halls. You do have to work and earn everything. Did you hear about how long it's going to take? Six months for a 10-player active guild to get everything upgraded in a guild hall. I thought they said nine What's that? Was it nine or six? Six. It will six, take a okay. minimum. It will take a minimum of six months for a ten-player active guild to get everything upgraded in the guild hall. That obviously decreases time-wise based on how many players you have. I think the the nine months is for five players. Okay. Yeah, but that's. I mean, that's it's an even, investment. Even that that's an investment, but that's a good investment. Yep. And larger guilds are going to get it done quicker, sure. But those smaller guilds, nine months. It seems like a long time, but in MMO time. I spent it's nine not. months doing fucking fuck all in, a, nine in months, an MMO. That's the time between two Warcraft patches. Exactly. So, like, I, I appreciate every single thing that I've heard and seen during Guild Week in ArenaNet really continues to impress me with Guild Wars 2, which is why I continue to play that game. Yeah. Okay. Let's move on to some uh, Fallout 4 news. Vince? Yeah, uh, we're just... God, we're so close to Fallout 4. I could almost Jesus. taste it. <laughs> I'm, I'm pawing at my pre-order did of the Bitcoin edition the, right now. Did you see the uh, the picture showing the cross-play with Avita? Yes. I saw you tweet about it, but I didn't I didn't follow up. It's the same people who worked on the Destiny cross-play. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. So that means it's going to be spot on. Because no shit, the, the Destiny cross-play is phenomenal. And so that sold it for me. I'm, I'm Obviously, I'm buying it for PS4. Yeah, we're getting a lot of great stuff. Uh, how much footage do they have from E3? That they were <laughs> every time I post a new away. article, they've got more footage from yeah. E3 that I've never seen. <laughs> they were ridiculously prepared for E3. That's what I'm getting out of it. Yeah, but they had a, a great chat with a lot of the the senior development team about yeah you know, just their approach coming into the game and how many of them have been with the company for over a decade, like. The first, you know, Bethesda-type game any of them worked on was the Blood Moon expansion for Elder Scrolls Three, And over that period of time, they've just been really perfecting this formula and tinkering with it and trying new things and moving things in different directions. And they, they, they're the best they are at what they do. I mean, <laughs> there's a reason Fallout and Elder Scrolls are so vaunted as franchises, and a lot of it is Bethesda's work on them. I mean, of course, the people that came before Bethesda as well. But also talking about how they have this really core, experienced development team, but they also have all these young, 
programmers and designers coming in who have all these fantastic ideas and they can come up with this really crazy idea for something they'd like to do. And the experienced members of the team know how to make it work because that's such a big thing in game development. You can have great ideas, but if your great idea doesn't work or doesn't fit the game, it's just a great idea. It's never really an integral part of the game. So hearing them talk about that give and take between the younger members of the team and the older members of the team, God, really, really excited for this game. (laughs) Especially when they were talking about the different modding stuff that you're going to be able to do in game. It was freaking awesome. Like with the, 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 all the electronic stuff and the, the monitors. Jesus, (laughs) I can see myself wasting a little bit too much time on that. A little bit. Yeah. (laughs) And then they were talking about uh, the voice acting and Mm -hmm. they brought in the, the two main actors, the one for the male protagonist, one for the female protagonist. (laughs) I thought it was hilarious that the guy didn't know what fallout was. (laughs) (laughs) He's like, what game am I working on? He's like, well, the first line you read was war. War never changes. Okay. <laughs> what game am I working on? Let me pull up my phone and wiki that. <laughs> <laughs> but they, they said uh, the way Fallout approached their voice acting is very different from just about every other game. Most other games use a variety of placeholder voice actors, you know, usually the developers themselves, until the game's done. And then they go, okay, now we'll record all the voice acting. Whereas they brought these guys in three years ago because I think they said each one of them has like 15,000 lines of dialogue to record. And that allowed them to get a better handle on the character and on the story by having the actual proper voice actors involved with the process the whole time through. Which is awesome. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's funny because, well, not funny, but they've been talking a lot more about the potential strike for the voice actors. Uh, yes. I don't know if you guys have been following that on Twitter. I have. I fully support yeah. these guys. If you look at the contract that they're these people are it's, it's suggesting, ridiculous. it is insane, unbelievable what they want to do to these people. But that being said, you have to respect the amount of work that they put in. And when they were talking about, like you said, 15,000 lines of dialogue, and you're going like, holy shit. Like, that's a level of dedication that that I'm sure will come across when you're playing the game. And I'm sure that it'll come across as you play the game more as well, like a couple of playthroughs. Exactly. Because really be able to get it. it's not like they just recorded all the dialogue straight through. There's countless different options for each scene. So that's where for someone who's got hundreds of hours to spare, you're really going to get your money's worth. Vince. Hundreds of hours. I thought you said there was only going to be multiple playthroughs. That's all I'm putting into it. (laughs) (laughs) Aside, Aside from that though, have you guys seen the series of videos they've been releasing for the attributes, the special videos? No. Holy crap, they're hilarious. Each one is only like a minute or two long, and it's explaining exactly what each of the individual attributes in the game does for your character. And it's done in the black and white animated mm-hmm. Fallout style, like with the 50s, you know, voiceover. Oh, it's so funny, and it, but it, it's perfect Fallout. Like they nailed everything about it. Like just take 10 minutes and watch them. I saw the <laughs> and stills. And the best part is they're serving as a countdown for the game coming out. <laughs> We're up to A. <laughs> God. Yeah. That's uh, November, is it 27th or 17th? I think it's the 10th. Okay. Oh, man. 
Did you pre-order? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, every time you pre-order, that gives me permission to pre-order a game. <laughs> and, and in all fairness, I didn't pre-order. Ah, somebody got a oh, gift. Oh, okay. Not for nothing, but you can thank me for that. <laughs> I'll explain later. <laughs> but you almost got something else. And I kind of went, you sure you want to buy that for him? <laughs> All right. Anything else? Uh, Fallout related? No, nah, I think we're good there. Okay. Let's move on. This is a massive month for Telltale. With We, we got the announcement of when the final... Tales from the Borderlands is going to be coming out as well. And we've got the others to finish Same off. Same day as well. life is strange. What is- it's going to be a busy weekend. That's all I got Remember to say. Remember last time how we were like, man, Tales from the Borderlands is going to be a nice, like, happy moment after life is strange. I don't think so. <laughs> all I, I know really is that I'm so. going to have a blanket and uh, my crying rags with me you're- so that when I'm done playing both of these games, I can go in my corner. Your life is going to be horrible. <laughs> your comfort blanket. <laughs> Uh, we also got a little bit more on uh, Minecraft too, Joe. So by the time that we're recording this, Minecraft story mode is actually released, which is fantastic. Um, we got to see a little bit more of the, the order of the stone, uh, which was basically showing how the characters are going to interact, how things are going to work on, uh, going on as well as getting to hear the voice actor really for the main character for the first time. Uh, it does look like they did scale back the number of characters you can play as, uh, which is now down to male or female, which, okay. Um, who has a generic name of Jesse, uh, <laughs> who, uh, has to travel across the overworld on a journey to the end and beyond. Um, it's, I thought it was kind of cool to see how that's going to be, kind of done and started to see how it was getting to push out and we got our first uh trailer and it looks it does look like it's still going to be that same game that same very interesting experience and uh i'm actually looking forward to spending some time and diving into it i did pick it up i just have to actually sit down and and get some time with it cool i haven't actually bought it yet once again there's only so much time in a day, but it is one of the ones that I am looking forward to playing. That'll be the one I play after Life is Strange yeah. and Tales from the Borderlands. <laughs> um, well, um, I guess I shouldn't. Yeah. Um, Joe, does the pig die? Tell me if the pig <laughs> dies, Joe. No, but they there's should. a scene where they're eating a bacon sandwich. <laughs> they, they, they are eating pork at, later on in the trailer, man. I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> All right. Um, Vince, tell us about Undertale. Undertale, it's a game I've been hearing a lot about over the past couple of weeks. It's it's really hard to explain in a lot of ways, but it's really brilliant. Now, like the more time I spend reading about it and watching it and maybe eventually playing it if I have the time, it's a small little like 8-bit style RPG. Like it has a lot uh, in common with like the mother games, you know, Earthbound and whatnot. And it's it, like Upon first inspection, it's pretty simple. You know, it's just a stupid little RPG. Uh, you know, there's a war between the humans and the monsters, and the humans won and banished the monsters to under the mountains. And you play as this young girl who falls down and gets trapped into the world of the monsters and has to make her way through. Eh, okay, pretty traditional stuff. Where the game really starts to become interesting is that not only is it an option, but it's actually encouraged to not fight and kill the monsters. You have options to learn about them. You can give them presents and 
basically you can spare them. You know, they either convince them to run away or grant them mercy if you've proven too powerful for them. And this lends to the game having a lot of different endings and story options. Like it's a, it's about a six hour game for a single playthrough, but then you can play through it again and again and again, choosing different options, different paths, you know, choosing to spare some, kill others and whatnot. But here's where it becomes really interesting. It's not quite fourth wall breaking, but there's a little bit of genre awareness amongst some of the characters you come across where they know they don't know they're in a video game, but there's it's it's a little off. Again, it's hard to explain without experiencing it. There because, is massive fourth wall breaking, though, in this game as well. Oh, Maybe. yes. But yeah, as far as, you know, the actual like uh, what I'm trying to say here is uh, character because awareness. They'll, rem- they'll remember choices you made on previous playthroughs. Where some of the characters, like it'll be like a dream or a vision, whereas some will straight up tell you, no, 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 you killed this person last time you were here. That's awesome. So <laughs> there it, yeah, oh. absolutely. And here's there, the thing, you can't, you can't cheat the system too with yeah, save files either. It. it is, it is aware of your choices despite even if you like try to save and go back, like it won't let you. Like, like it remembers huge... the choice you made regardless of whether or not the save happened before you actually made the choice. And the game makes you feel terrible about it. If you kill someone, <laughs> oh, yeah. you are the great destroyer. <laughs> Imagine what Vince playing this game is going to experience. <laughs> but I think there's this huge community of players that are playing through the game over and over again, trying to fix mistakes they made because you can redeem yourself as a character. So there's a lot of meta game going on here of not just like the story of a single playthrough, but the story, like the tale of these multiple playthroughs is really becoming fascinating, not just the game itself, but the community surrounding the game and seeing how it's really impacted a lot of people, not just from like a goal standpoint of, oh, I need, I want to see this particular ending, but legitimately emotional attachment to some black and white eight bit sprites. What's cool for me, too, speaking of the community is so I like watching Let's Plays. It's one of those things that like when I'm laying in bed and I want to just relax and unwind, I'll watch people doing Let's Plays on YouTube. And unlike some of the games that I have been watching with Let's Plays, this has been this has proven incredibly interesting because of that attachment and because of how many people are feeling that you, you can see it's, it's almost like survivor's guilt in a way where they're trying to figure out how to do that and watching them go through this in real time. It's absolutely fascinating to watch. And like, you can see these little tiny things like click with these people as they're playing this game. I have not seen a reaction to a video game like this in a long time. Like I'm absolutely impressed with how much this tiny little, you know, eight bit RPG is hooking people in and making them like, for lack of a better term, hitting them in the feels. But again, that's all conceptually. They, 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 the concept right from the get go mm-hmm. was well designed. It's kind of like Thomas was alone. It doesn't matter that they're blocks. It was well conceived yeah. and that pays off when you are then playing the game. Same with like stuff like the Stanley parable and stuff like that too, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm just loving all the creativity we're seeing from game design right now where, Mm -hmm. like you said, all even Stanley Parable graphically 
not that impressive, but it, they're, they're approaching the actual design from a different direction. And like, this is one of the most interesting times to be a gamer that I can remember. Okay. What about the, uh, the flame and the flood? The Flame of the Flood is a cool little game that uh, had a successful Kickstarter. It's now available on uh, Steam Early Access. And it's very light at the moment. You know, they have proof of concept gameplay uh, where you play in post-crisis America where there's been this great flood. And really the only landmasses left are the high points that have become now islands. Everybody's we haven't gotten any explanation just yet as to you know what happened, and sure that that will eventually be added to the game. As I like right now, the game is very story light, but you play as this young girl scout with her little pup who just have to survive in this landscape, and a lot of it's tied around you know going down the rivers that you know used to be highways now <laughs> in her little raft going from island to island trying to collect the supplies to survive. Like it's. Gameplay-wise, it's got a lot in common. I've noticed with games like Don't Starve, where you know there's a gathering system, crafting system, but it's a lot more hardcore because you'll have to make decisions as to what am I going to do to survive? Like, do I want to risk breaking my leg in order to get that food? And they said the story itself is minimal in the game, but there's a lot of emergent story coming out from these playthroughs uh it's, you know it's a roguelike well, rogue light as they call it you know kind of like um what was it rogue legacy where you know, it's not quite as punishing as you know games like ftl or whatnot it's meant for you know multiple quick playthroughs to learn and grow so it's like it's, it's a lot like undertale it's the player's story not necessarily the character's story and what that player themselves is going through so it's still really early on fantastic audio and visual design like the game is gorgeous yeah, the music is. is wonderful so uh, it's definitely one to keep your eyes on if you're interested in you know those roguelike type games and survival especially so it's, it's still really early in development personally i wouldn't quite dive in at this point but i'm definitely keeping track of it yeah uh joe you wanted to talk about some warhammer so i love diablo i love warhammer 40k sticking the two of them together and you have an instant win uh, so this game called Inquisitor is going to be coming out, and it is an action RPG just like Diablo in which players can go through um, – uh, sorry, Inquisitor Martyr, I believe is the actual name. Players can mm-hmm. go through as one of uh, a few different classes and actually experience uh, what it is to purge heretics in the taint of chaos. Uh, I've actually been very enthralled with this game mechanically because while it is like Diablo, it has a cover system. Um, it has destructible environments, which are, I think they said, almost all of their environments in every level is almost completely interactable, <laughs> which is ridiculously awesome. Uh, it is got ranged combat, melee combat, amazing character models, great visualizations, spell effects, weapon effects, lighting effects. The shadow effects are absolutely amazing. This is cool. And not only that, it is a multiplayer game for up to four players as well at a time, just like Diablo. So you can go chain sword somebody in half with your friends. Uh, it's it's nice to see this style of game getting more traction recently. We saw this with like uh, the Tales of Van Helsing. Um, oh, same and, developer. Yeah, it's the same developer. <laughs> Neocore. And we're starting to see it with other games as well, Pillars of Eternity and and whatnot. I like that. It's hilarious that it took developers so long to get Diablo right. 
It, How many Diablo know, clones did we see for decades oh, that were yes. garbage? And it wasn't until the last couple of years that people went, oh, that's how you do it. I think you it's can, more so that you, they saw D3 when it first released. Exactly, and went, yes. You guys fucked it up. We can do better. <laughs> well, not only that, but then you look at stuff like Torchlight and you're like, look how well they yeah. did with just that. Well, they had and a cheat code. Okay. They did have a cheat code. That's true. <laughs> but I'm saying like, like, that really kind of kickstarted that whole genre back into life again. And this is this is just more icing on the cake. Like I don't know about you guys, but this is going to be a day one purchase for me. I absolutely oh, freaking love it. All about this game. One hundred percent. We are going to have to play the shit out of this game, Vince. <laughs> <laughs> we must purge the heretics. Well, right. and the other cool thing is too is like each of the classes does have a unique a unique play style. You have your like your basic trooper that's well rounded. You have your agility based guy, which is more melee and dodging, and then you have your dreadnought. Uh, which is your Inquisitor in tactical dreadnought armor, uh, which is just going through and just laying down oppressive fire. It's And it also looks like they have multi-stage boss battles, even mm-hmm. as early as the very first level that you play in. This is ambitious. This is awesome. All right. Let's move on to a couple of horror games, which we're seeing more of now. I'm thinking, too, that like Five Nights at Freddy kind of thing is... While some people have had it with the games, they've seen the success that it can have as well. So Allison Road, we got some more news about that. And actually, the we just saw as well how they don't even have to worry about the Kickstarter anymore either. They got picked up by a publisher. Yeah, they got picked up by Team 17, the same publisher that is uh, publishing Ukulele. So <laughs> they're finding good success in picking up Kickstarter projects and, well... It's not necessarily a bad way to go as a publisher because you, you already have a lot of your PR done for you. Yeah. But yeah, as for the game itself, they showed off a new environment, the forest. And the instant I saw the very first screenshot of this forest environment, I went, that's Silent so, Hill. Like just, the you know, the fog, of course, but it just the atmosphere. immediately set a tone. Yeah, yeah, not just the fog, but like, the trees like you can make a scary tree it, it's a thing you can do <laughs> and they nailed it and i love how they said that you're gonna spend you know we can do more than just a house <laughs> obviously pt wasn't meant to be you know the game it was just you know kind of like a teaser for the game so the house is what everybody remembers so that's where they started their alice and road development was with the house but they're like you're gonna spend a lot of time in this house you're going to want to get the hell out of this house <laughs> Once you leave the house, you're going to miss it. <laughs> and this goes back to what I've said several times uh, recently about people that get horror and how to do it in the game. And they said, this isn't a game about jump scares. This isn't a game about grossing you out. This is just a game about making you feel uncomfortable in the environment. You know, there's I'm sure occasionally there's going to be a hand that reaches out for you or whatnot. I mean, you have to have some of that, but that's not what the game is built around. The game is built around setting up these creepy environments, sticking you in the middle of them, then showing you stuff to make it even weirder and creepier and just letting you experience that. That that is what I want from my horror games and Allison Road is nailing it left and right. I was worried now, that they weren't going to meet their Kickstarter because it well, was getting here's, pretty tight. Here's a problem, right? They didn't. No, I know, but it doesn't matter because they got the publisher. 
So well, they, they, they yeah, they. I was gonna say as of two days ago, they officially canceled and everything else. So. Yeah, because they got the yeah. publisher. Well, yeah, they so. canceled because the publisher stepped in. But yeah. yeah, they would not have made it unless there was a freaking hail mary at the end, which I, I really was hoping that would happen. But yeah, I was, I was, I was pretty worried. So I'm ecstatic that they caught a publisher because mm-hmm. while I wasn't going to back it, I did right. want to pick it up and play it. I really am looking forward to playing this game. You just want to play it on the Oculus Rift. Dude! (laughs) You said the magic word, Joe. There was no VR in these show notes. I don't care. Make it happen. (laughs) But it does does have it actually in here. The game is being built with Oculus Rift support. They did say there was a couple other games too recently that they were talking about. The horror games that they are specifically looking at VR now, which is obvious. That's what, I mean, the writing was on the wall there. So, but this on any of the VR would be spectacular. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay, let's move on to the park, which is also, I mean, that's got a whole bunch of different games kind of smashed into one (laughs) scary-ass fucking theme park. (laughs) So, yeah, if you thought Five Nights at Freddy's was scary, get ready to, like, get ready to live through not only what is a nightmare, but is going to like, it is your appearance worst nightmare. And I'm sure Roger will chime in at this point was, or at least uh, back it up on this one. Imagine a dilapidated theme park in which over the years since its creation in 1977, there has been nothing but tragedy and hauntings and grotesque killings throughout this entire place. And imagine it being the most horrid, wretched place you have ever seen with not only just weird, creepy environments when you're outside and idols that make absolutely no sense, but evil animatronics and weird cardboard cutouts that weren't there a second ago, blood on the walls, bathrooms that look like they are actually torture chambers. And then now imagine losing your kid in there and then having to search this place nope. at <laughs> at night with weird scarecrows and tellers. And I can make barbers. another kid. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, and, and, and this is, a, and you're talking about doing horror, right? Not only is the concept scary, the environment, everything about this game, the atmosphere is absolutely wretchedly scary. And they're starting to, and if you look through, they list their influences, like, you know, it's Five Nights at Freddy's, it's, you know, Gone Home, The Vanishing of Ethan Carter. Uh, Stephen King novels uh, and uh, a little also kind of a cool little tidbit. Uh, this game is actually inspired by and connected to the Secret World MMO, which means there's going to be a bunch of Cthulian old one stuff that tie into this. And even the place where it takes part in, if you've played the Secret World at all, it's Atlantic Island Park. There is a lot of lore talking about sleeping old ones underneath this place. Oh, man. So, yeah. This is, you know what it is, is they played Heavy Rain and thought, this is frightening, but we We need to ramp it up. (laughs) It's like, really? And it's one of those things where I can remember before the kids and thinking about how horrifying it would be losing a child. But until you have kids, it's all theoretical. You, you, it's one of those things you simply cannot grasp until you have kids. And from that point on, you have nightmares. Our youngest 
is 18 and I still get nightmares periodically where it's, you know, you've forgotten one of the kids at the mall or you something like that. And it's terrifying. And what's funny is that quite literally just a few weeks ago, I, I messaged my, my daughter and said, send me a picture of my granddaughter like now, because I'd woken up from a nightmare where something horrific had happened to her. Like it doesn't go away. <laughs> like mm-hmm. you still keep having these nightmares. So any game that that plays on that, I don't need the extra hocus pocus <laughs> bullshit. I mean, that's going to be fun and all that. And I'm looking forward to it. But just that concept of of losing your child is frightening enough is that's enough to for me to like break out in a cold sweat it's it's that impactful on you i should make note that this game is set to release on october 27th so just in time for halloween and it is available for pre-purchase for only ten dollars on steam the full game price is only going to be thirteen dollars if you like scary games that's awesome there is no reason not to pick up this game. That price point is amazing for what you're getting out of it. Yeah. And it said flat out, this is going to be, like you said, they, they had heavy rain. It's a psychological horror experience focused on exploration and storytelling. Get on this one, people. Yeah, definitely. Okay. In lighter news, <laughs> did you guys watch the Lego Marvel's Avenger stuff at the Comic-Con? <laughs> that was awesome. That was awesome. I, I love those. We still play periodically the, the Lego Marvel one that we have. But this is going to be the the Avengers stuff, and it's going to have Avengers 1 and 2, Thor 2, Iron Man 3, and Captain America 1 and 2. Sadly, no Guardians, which really pisses uh, me off. I thought I said it was also going to include Agent Carter. Uh, they're going to kind of put in a little Carter and shield agents of shield, but not in terms of the full like sound from the shows and being able to play through levels that are based on the shows, unless they recently added that. Cause I did not hear that. What I heard was that it's just going to be tossed into for extra flair kind of. So same as the guardians that were saying that might show up later on, but it's, not in initially, but this is freaking awesome because no, again, yeah, uh, they Haley Atwell was brought in for additional voice work. Awesome. Okay. Uh, cool. As well as Colby, uh, Kobe Smulders and Clark Gregg uh, for additional missions centered around agent Carter and the games, in New York hub world. Oh, see even mm. more so a purchase, which transforms into <laughs> Manhattan into a black and white 1940s era oh, version. Yeah. God. I'm sold. You oh yeah. That, they had me at Carter. <laughs> <laughs> they, they listen. They listen. Awesome. I mean, come on. How can you not have Agent Carter? This was cool. I actually watched because I was watching a whole bunch of panels for Comic Con for our Comic Book Informed podcast. And then I was watching when this came up. I watched the entire thing too. And it was great because, again, they're using the actual um, voice work from the movies, but then putting their spin on it, the, the Lego spin on it. That is what makes the, the game so much fun to play. And this took the scope of the last Lego Marvel game and it's exponentially bigger and better. And I lost track of how much time I spent in the last Lego Marvel game. So don't tell me that it looks freaking awesome. And you know, the Hulk has a thing with the chicken. (laughs) There's like a Gonzo and Camilla moment there. (laughs) (laughs) That is like you, you look at it. Did you actually see what I'm talking about? Yes. It was hysterical. (laughs) And you're going, only you guys could pull this off. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, yeah. Like, if they had done that in a comic book, you'd be like, this is the dumbest thing I've ever seen. 
but it works for Lego. So yeah, this is going to be a purchase immediately because I love these games and I play them with my son. So we have so much fun playing them. So 100% agreed. Lastly, there was a fantastic article at rock, paper, shotgun on hex. And I've done a lot of talking about the game and, and I've been playing it and I really, really love it. I haven't been doing as much of the PVP stuff, which I, they just started a massive, massive tournament, but I haven't been doing as much of that because I've been enjoying the PVE. As I mentioned before, this was interesting because they talked about the AI and how intelligent they need to stop. <laughs> oh man, this AI is insane. This is the one that destroys. The yeah, world. really, <laughs> but it'll screw up just so that it's a little bit more human. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, this AI is learning from every game that the players are playing, whether it's in PvE or PvP mode, seeing what works, the combination of cards. It's also making mistakes like players do so that you're getting that. And it's also the way that it's scripted. They, they can add any cards they want at any time and the AI will learn from the cards. It was freaking impressive because again, having played it, I had noticed before even reading this where I'm like, the AI made a mistake there. And you catch it. You can't help but catch it. And it's like, that's wrong. They should have done this, this, and this. And hell, they would have won. But because they didn't, now I might be able to win or I might be able to stretch this motherfucker (laughs) for like five or six more turns. Some of the games where I had those unbelievable moments where I've got a team that cannot be killed is because the AI happened to screw up at one point and I took full advantage of it. And that's what happens when you're playing a real player. And it's nice because we've played enough of these games where the AI cheats. And I've certainly played enough digital TCGs where the AIs point blank cheat. They know the next cards that are coming up. And so that's nothing but frustrating. And I imagine 2015. Yeah. So to have something where not only when it happens, but leading up to any mistakes, you have that sense of hope in the same way as when you're playing a real player of crap, I'm going to die, but they might make a mistake. And if they screw up, I'm going to pounce on that. And that's what you get. And the fact that you have that feeling while playing an AI is spectacular. Like it, it brings a level of immersion to PVE content that I actually was not expecting. And my hopes for this game have consistently since the Kickstarter been really, really high. And this goes above and beyond that. The the AI is phenomenal. And this read just cemented that for me. Now, I, I'm not saying this because I have a friend who's an AI engineer for Ubisoft, but it's one of those things where this type of gameplay is what everybody's trying to emulate in all their games, not just card games. Yeah. You're seeing mobile companies are starting to do it. You're seeing Ubisoft starting to try to do it with Assassin's Creed games where uh, there's going to be like more predictive AI that it's going to actually be more intelligent and emergent as far as learning. And I think that that's so amazing because now you can have those amazing experiences in PVE or one player content that you necessarily couldn't have because, like you said, either a computer would cheat or you would just know the magic combination to always beat the computer. Now you have to put a lot more thought and you have to put as much thought as you would 
playing against another human being. And that's phenomenal. That's fantastic to me because I don't always want to PVP, but I do like to have that honest to God challenge without just feeling like, oh, well, doesn't matter what I pull. It's going to fucking cheat anyway. Screw it. Well, as much as I like Hearthstone, I, I, a, I haven't played it as much lately because I, I hate the freaking last expansion, but I will play the PVE. And again, I like it because the encounters are different. But it is so predictable, it's unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. You can and, figure out how to beat it eventually. It's, yeah, exactly. And that's the one thing that I really loved about the Hex AI is before every match, the AI will actually randomly roll certain character traits. Yo, that was so awesome. You, you can never figure it out because you're, you're not playing the same AI from game to game. So not only is it learning and it's adapting and it's doing things, it... it it's ridiculous because you can never figure it out. You can never go, okay, I know when I play this card, it's always going to counter with this because it's not. And that is a huge step forward for digital TCGs. Those character traits, that's when I kind of stopped reading and went, I didn't read that right. Hold on a second. <laughs> Let's go back and read that again. Oh my God. They're actually, it takes developers with balls whether real or, or or not to say our ai needs to be crippled in some ways so that it's not all powerful but is actually going to make mistakes let's assign it negative personality traits that will influence how it plays the game wow i want the one that says you're cheating and calls the referee over for a ruling when it knows the rules <laughs> I, I want i want the ai to be that guy <laughs> i want the ai to start trash talking <laughs> well i think it's cool too because when they explained how uh chris woods was basically taking the language from the cards and the mechanics yeah. and translating them to their own programming language he did something revolutionary there, which allows them to apply those those filters to it, uh, allows them to apply negative traits and say, OK, well, these conditions all like this is a person looking at this card. This is how they would react or, you know, the mindset of a 13 year old kid with like a power nine set versus a four year old man with a uh, power nine set. Sometimes not much difference, but you get the point. Uh, it's just it's really cool that they did that. It's really cool that they put that much time into that i'm just i you know what i'm floored i'm so happy that i got my freaking account password reset so i can fucking play the game <laughs> yeah definitely all right we actually are going to be at least i know that i will be talking about the book in coming episodes as well i finally got my hands on the book that was part of the backer package that mm-hmm. was written by christy golden i there was some problems getting it because of the way the site is set up if you have an authenticator it, you couldn't log in to get it so i had to deal with support but we got it figured out and i got my hands on the book and i know you guys did as well because i sent it to you because I knew you guys were backers, so I sent it to you. But I know that I'm going to be diving into that book because I love Christy Golden, so I want to be talking about that either together or as a feature in a coming episode in the next few weeks. I've already started breaking into it. Yeah. So with that, that is going to wrap it up. Thank you very much for joining us. The uh, We didn't go live because it's actually Wednesday. It was Canadian Thanksgiving this weekend, so I didn't actually, we didn't record on Monday. But normally we are on Mondays at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, and you can catch us at ForTheLore.com slash live, of course. You can catch us on Twitter at ForTheLore or individually Joe at Loaders at J, Vince at Simonian or myself at Zen Buddhist. And of course, you can leave us your comments on iTunes and Stitcher, and we will talk to you 
guys next week. That she had the longest, blackest hair, the prettiest green eyes anywhere, and Marie's the name of his latest fame. I'm at like level 299 Paragon right now. God damn, man. I think I stopped. When I was cranking through on Sunday, I was like, I'm going to catch up to Roger. I'm going to catch up to Roger. And then I see you last night. I'm like, that motherfucker. (laughs) Would you believe that yesterday this girl was in my arms and swore to me she'd be mine eternally and Marie's the name Thank you for listening to For the Lore. Each week, the show is broadcast live on Mondays at 7 p.m. Eastern. Stop by forthelore.com slash live to join the conversation and have your thoughts discussed on the show. If you'd like to hear more from the guys, check out Comic Book Informer, a weekly podcast from Vince and Roger, as well as Popcorn Ronin, a bi-weekly movie, TV, and anime podcast. And lastly, thanks to Manelli Jamal for the show's theme music. We encourage everyone to check out his site, ManelliJamal.com, or find him on iTunes and help support this incredible musician by picking up his CDs.